Well, good morning, church family. It's wonderful seeing you, and it's Christmas, so I'm going to ring my bells. And um, it's good to see you, and it's also good to hear you singing this morning. So hopefully you brought your copy of the scripture. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me here. But if you have your copy of the scriptures, go ahead and take yours and turn with me to the third chapter of Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 and read down through verse 6 in just a moment. Uh, As we heard earlier, this is the second Sunday of Advent 2020, where we focus on peace, and I don't know about you, but I need a little dose of that in my life. So let me encourage you, as you're turning to Luke 3, just to take a deep breath. It's a shame that my watch has to tell me to breathe two or three times a day, but it does, and I obey it, and it uh, works wonders. Let me just encourage you right where you are, just to take a deep breath. Sometimes it's just good to be reminded that it's going to be okay, especially for us Jesus followers. It's going to be okay. He is the Prince of Peace, and he grants us peace. And hopefully now you're in Luke 3. I know you just sat, but I'm going to ask you to stand again because this is the Word of God, and let's remind ourselves of that. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Let's see what the Spirit of God inspired Luke to write in these verses. Luke 3, beginning with verse 1. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Traconitus, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight, the rough ways smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of God. And everyone will see the salvation of God. You answered prayers and you came the first time, just as you said you would. O come, O come, Emmanuel. We ask that you'd, well, we know you will. We just ask that you do it quickly and come a second time. Until then, may we be found faithful. Father, would your spirit go forth from your word And minister to our spirits, those in this room and those that are watching online. And may we be transformed by the power of your spirit and your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Something I failed to mention a second ago that I want to mention now, primarily for those watching online at the close. In just a few moments, we're going to be having observing the Lord's Supper. 
And so if uh, you want to go scrounge around and grab some elements real quick, that'd be great. I just encourage you to turn up the volume so you can hear everything that I say between now and then. All right, so grab some Ritz crackers, some Welch's grape juice, and you'll be ready to go in just a moment. So I wanted to make sure you heard that. All right, hopefully everyone in the room has that wonderful wafer and grape drink ready to go here in just a little bit. I don't know about you, but uh, I've noticed in my uh, years of living that most of the substantial, potent, greatest gifts come in the smaller packages. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to that or not, but a lot of the best gifts that I've received come in the smaller packages. For instance, I could have a tree full of boxes uh, or or boxes under the tree, but if I see a healthy envelope, (laughs) that's the one I mind because I know what's in that thing. You could spend a lot of money on Christmas gifts, but there's one in particular, especially if it's something like jewelry, that if you, if you put, if you, if you spend a lot of money on jewelry, which if you do jewelry, you will, it's found in usually what's seemingly smallest or most insignificant box, but it is by far the most insignificant gift that you may or may not give. The jewelry is usually in the small box, but it's usually the most potent of gifts. Uh, even the, the iPhone or whatever cell phone you have, one of the most powerful computers we have ever known or had can be found in a very small box and the boxes are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Most of the time, the most potent, powerful, substantial gifts are found in the smallest of packages. Similarly, it's interesting, isn't it, that the brightest of lights are seen when it's the darkest outside. I don't know if you've ever been outside or been outside recently when there's a full moon in, in the sky and it se- you seem to recognize it most when there are no clouds and when it is just pitch black sky. That's when it's brightest. Same with a flame and a candle or a, or a, or a match. It can be very small, but if it's in a dark room, it's going to light the place up. And here recently, as I've driven home from work or driven home from somewhere that I've been, I could look hundreds and hundreds of yards away and it'd be in the the nighttime and I see these tiny lights surrounding houses that are lit up for Christmas. There's something about the smallness of lights or the tiniest of lights that light up most when it's dark. Packages that are small can be the biggest and most powerful. Light that is tiny can shine really bright in the darkest of situations. I don't know if you caught it or not, but the last phrase in the verses we just read is an incredibly potent phrase. A huge, powerful declaration. If you were just reading Luke chapter 3, you might just go on past it because you'd think, oh, this is something Isaiah said. And if you've ever taken account of how long ago Isaiah lived, give or take a couple of years, but around 3,000 years ago, God sent Isaiah to his people in a time where they were living in exile and it wasn't very fun. And about 3,000 years ago, when he sent Isaiah, he told Isaiah to say some of these things and to say, hey, there's going to be this weird guy come. And when he comes, he's going to come out of the wilderness and he's going to say some crazy things. 700 years after After that, it happened just as Isaiah had said. You may have heard of him as John the Baptist, weird-looking guy who wore itchy clothes and ate bugs. But he was sent from God, and he declared some incredible things from the mouth of God, basically saying, get ready, the Messiah's coming. 
But I don't know if you noticed it or not, but in verse 6 of Luke chapter 3, the thing that Isaiah said that he was going to say 3,000 years ago, and the thing that he said 700 years later, and the thing that he said now almost 2,000 years ago, that Luke decided to write for us, we have before us, and it was declared, everyone will see the salvation of God. That's kind of a big statement. Everyone? <laughs> everyone will see Jesus, everyone will see the gospel, everyone will see God's plan of redemption. That's a huge statement to make because I've been looking around and it doesn't feel like everybody's given a rip about the salvation of God. And yet Isaiah said it would happen, John the Baptist said it was coming, Jesus came. Now, What you and I need to understand is the backdrop in which John the Baptist said this. That's a mighty statement to make, but he said it in one of the darkest of times. Do you get weirded out a little bit or kind of, not weirded out, but maybe do your eyes glaze over when you read the first two verses of Luke chapter 3 when you read all those names? And by the way, I have no idea how to pronounce those names. I learned a long time ago that if you just say them fast, people think you know how to say them. And so if you ever ever have to stand and read scripture in front of people and you don't know how to pronounce it, just say it fast and they'll think you're really smart. Those names are very significant. They may not seem like it to us. But if you and I were to do just a little bit of research on some of these tetrarchs and emperors and governors and priests, we would find that not only were they some of the most powerful most powerful regime in human history, especially New Testament history, we find out that these men were some of the most corrupt men who have ever ruled in all of human history. This is Luke's way of saying, yeah, this, John the Baptist and Jesus came when these guys were in charge. Julius Caesar, of all people, Herod, Annas, Caiaphas, they were leading the religious system. Yeah, those guys and the readers of Luke's gospel would have been like, oh my gosh, that was a moral cesspool of just destruction and grossness. These guys were selfish and they would make everybody do stuff for selfish ends. It was just a dark time. Some of you are thinking, well, it ain't nothing like our time. Let me tell you something. I don't care what side of the government system that you're on today. The people that we just read in Luke chapter three, verses one and two, make the government system of today look like Mr. Rogers. These guys were some bad dudes. Some people say to me today, oh my gosh, there's never been a worse time. America's going to hell in a handbag. And there are some situations where that may sound true, but you need to do a little research before you say that. But because the people that were ruling during this day, they, they, they make the rulers of today look like Mother Teresa. Luke is saying this was a dark, horrific, gross time that the government was ruling. By the way, quick parentheses, come in here. Some of you that may be in the room or maybe watching online, you're thinking, okay, Jesus, okay, I, I don't know if I'm there yet that he may be the son of God, he may be the Messiah, but is he a real historical guy? Luke writes chapter three, verses one and two to say, go check your sources. He actually lived in time and space and history. John the Baptist and Jesus are not just pigments of our imagination. They are historical figures who came to or came and ministered during a real time. 
So read your history books. It really happened. Close parentheses. All right. So what's, John's, what's Luke telling us? Luke's saying, this is a horrible time and everyone is going to see the salvation of God, which brings me to a question that just kind of begs the question, especially in a time that we're living in that's just crazy like 2020. How in the world does God, how has God planned or how has God ordained that everyone see the salvation of God during such a dark time? You could not have lived. I say you couldn't. I'm not a history buff. It was a horrible time. It would be hard to find a more difficult time to live under the rule, under a rule of a governor or a king or a president than Luke 3, 1 and 2. And yet, in that milieu, John the Baptist says, everyone will see the salvation of God. So that begs a question in my mind. How does God desire, what's God's plan for everyone to see the salvation of God in such a horrific backdrop? Or if you're to ask it in today, okay, Matt, it doesn't seem like everybody is really for God or living for God. It may not be as bad as Luke 3, 1 and 2, but it doesn't seem real good right now. And, and now my Bible says in verse 6, everyone will see the salvation of God. How? What's God's plan? How is verse 6 going to happen knowing that verses 1 and 2 were happening? How is everybody going to see Jesus? How is everybody going to experience the gospel just like verse 6 says if everything seems so bad? we got to answer that question. And let me just give it to you simply. The most potent things come in small packages. The brightest of candles and matches shine most brilliantly in a very, very dark room. How has God ordained that the people around us see his salvation in such difficult times? Well, you know what the word says? Heed the word of the Lord and do what he says. <laughs> That's pretty massive. Heed the word of the Lord and do what he says. You want the world to see the salvation of God? Did you, did you, did you read it earlier in Luke 3? The word of the Lord came to John. What did John say? Repent for the forgiveness of sins. What does the word of God say? Turn from unbelief from God. Turn to faith in God and know that your sins will be forgiven by looking outside yourself to the one that he sent. When God's people have their hearts changed and submit them to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, this is what, this is the area of my life that needs fixing, or this is me who needs fixing. Fix me. That's when the world sees the salvation of God. It seems elementary, but it's massively important. 
Because I believe that's what he's saying. He's saying there are crooked places in my life that need to be straightened. There are rough places in my life that need to be smooth. There are low places in my life that need to be made holy. There are high and mighty places that need to be made gentle and lowly. Your job, our job, if we're, if the world is going to see the salvation of God, it happens when we pay attention to his spirit speaking to us through his word, when we pay attention to what's going on in our lives, when we pay attention to the areas that are crooked and rough and low and too high, and we say, okay, I can't do this. I need you to do this for me. Isn't that what the word said? Look, look again, look again. Verse two, the end of verse two of Luke three, God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled. Every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight, the rough way smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of God. There it is. How does everybody see the salvation of God? Get this church because I think we think God's changed his idea. After Luke mentions all the high and mighty powerful governors and tetrarchs and priests and priesthood, he doesn't say through them will the world see the salvation of God. It came through a guy wearing itchy camel's hair, eating bugs who said, I got a word from the Lord. Here's what we need to do. Now, please don't misunderstand me, church. One day Jesus is going to come back and he's going to flex his muscles and he's going to show his power and he's going to show his might and he's going to show his glory and we're going to see him face to face and finally be whole. But right now, he's chosen to show his salvation not through powerful systems, but through transformed people. Not through powerful systems, but through transformed people. I feel like we think God has changed his plan. Church, Jesus didn't come with a bunch of bullets. Jesus came and he gave blood. Jesus didn't come to exercise, the first time to exercise his might. Jesus came to lay it down, to give us life. And I fear many of us think that where the, sal- God, where the world will see the salvation of God is when we show our heavy might. Let's get a bunch of Christians together and have a big sing-along. And then everybody will know that we love Jesus. Now, there may be a time and place for that church, but you're not going to find it here. What the world's looking for is a changed life. Let's go to Washington in March. Let's go to Nashville in March. Let's go to somewhere and show everybody we mean business. There may be times and places for that. There probably are, but let's be real careful because it's easier to go do that than let the Spirit work on us. How are they going to see the salvation of God? It's called asking Jesus to make the crooked places straight and the rough places smooth in our own hearts.
I ain't going to make that mayor make me wear no mask. I'm a Christian. I live by faith, not by fear. Give me a cotton picking break. I have my rights. No, when you chose to follow Jesus, you said bye-bye to your rights. If any man follows Jesus, Jesus bids him come and die. Maybe if my post that's angry and opinionated gets on social media, on the internets, and it goes viral, that's how it'll change the world. No. There may be a time and place for that. Probably not. There may be a time and place for that. It's a lot easier to post something mean on Facebook than it is to ask the Spirit of God to speak to your heart and change you. You know what your spouse is looking for. You know what your children are looking for. You know what your neighbors are looking for. You know what your coworkers are looking for. You know what your friends are looking for. They're looking for Jesus that's real and personal and wants to know if he's done anything with you. How is the world going to see the salvation of God when they see the way you treat your spouse, when they see the way you treat your children, when they see the way you spend your income, when they see that you want to spend time with God when nobody's looking, when they see that when you disagree with someone instead of railing against them, you invite them into your life, when they see you with someone that's different from you instead of shunning them or ignoring them, you invite them into your world. They see someone that operates according to a different system, not the system of the world. How will they see the salvation of God? They see the salvation of God when they see Jesus doing something different in you. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Where are those crooked places? Let him make them smooth and straight. That's the way of the Lord. Let's be careful, church. Because I fear it's easier to put your hope in a system that may change. As opposed to having a personal relationship. Hear me. Jesus didn't die for a system. He died for people. He died for you. And he wants a personal, intimate relationship with you. That's what the world needs to see. (laughs) And isn't this how Jesus works? Isn't this how Jesus describes the kingdom of Christ? I mean, think about it for a second. Have you ever read any of his parables? This means yes. We'll get done a lot quicker if y'all stay with me. I mean, just lie to me. Okay. You know what some of his parables say? You are the salt of the earth. Have you ever seen a grain of salt? What's huge, isn't it? No, it's tiny. You are the light of the world. What's the seed he talks about most when when referring to the kingdom of Christ? Mustard seed. Have you seen how powerful and strong and big a mustard seed is? No, it's the smallest of all seeds. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He says, a little leaven works its way through the whole batch of dough. 
He said there was a lost coin. There was a lost sheep. What's his point in saying all of these tiny things? He says the spirit of God, the kingdom of God is subversive. It's subtle. It's simple, but it's potent. The most, the the greatest packages come in seemingly insignificant boxes. Lights shine brilliant when it's in the darkest of places. And isn't that how Jesus came, church? The one who came from a throne in heaven didn't come the first time to occupy the White House or the palace over in the other UK. Where did he come? Horse trough. We call it a manger. The bread of life came and he made himself the size of about a loaf of bread. The light of the world came in the middle of the night. That's the way Jesus works. He usually works in ways we don't expect. We think big and mighty. Jesus says, I work in the small ways that are really, really powerful. And you say, okay, all right, Matt. What in the world does this have to do with Advent? Isn't this Advent, this peace? Last week was hope. Advent is what? When we anticipate, when we desire his end, or his, his coming. We desire the end by his coming back and making us whole. We long for his return. That's what Advent is. We have a deep desire for his return. So what does this have to do with Advent? Well, think about it. Christian, if we know that Jesus is returning, we will live differently now, right? There, there, there's, so, there's so many Christians, I believe, that say they believe that Jesus is coming back, but they fight, they, they scratch, they crawl, they, they're desperate to change things in the here and now. And I do believe we need to influence the here and now, but if we're not careful, we'll show that we really don't believe there's another life to come, there's, that Jesus is coming back to make us new. We'll put all our eggs in the here and now basket. Advent says, no, Jesus is coming back, and so we endure differently than the world. We live differently from the world. A prisoner who knows he's going to be getting out of prison in a month is going to endure differently than a prisoner who knows he's never getting out. A hostage who knows that the SWAT team is on its way in two weeks is going to endure different than the hostage who doesn't know if anybody's ever coming. A cancer patient is going to endure if they know the chemo is working as opposed to someone who doesn't, who's been told that it's not working. Church, we are the people who know that it's going to be different. Therefore, we endure differently. We live differently. We behave differently. We don't overcome the world with these worldly systems of muscle and power. We believe Jesus came to give himself for the good of the world. And we say, Jesus, come change us from the inside out. That's how it Advent fits in. And there's one more thing as we come to the table, get ready for the elements. One more way Ad, this passage speaks to Advent. You've heard it over and over again. You'll probably hear it for another, what's today, the sixth, for another 25 days. 2020 has been... <laughs> In a lot of ways, 2020 has felt like this dry, ugly never-ending wilderness. There's, been, there's, there's never been a year that, since I've been alive. And I'm super young, so this is, this is, this is a... I haven't lived in periods of time that others of you have. 
But there's never been a year that has prepared me for Advent like 2020. It's been a wilderness. But church, please hear me. If I'm reading my Bible right, the word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness. If you're like me, you keep wanting to jump past the wilderness. Be careful. I believe God has a word for you in the wilderness. Now, speaking of tiny packages, let me encourage you to go ahead and take your plastic stuff and get ready. For those of you at home, you can be grateful that you don't have chewing gum as a wafer and grape drink as this. I think whoever packaged this did so during the Reagan administration. This is 2020. And this is a small little deal that Jesus gave us to remember him by. Of all the things, and you can go ahead and take that top part off. It's all noisy. We're all doing it. Let's all do it together. I can hear you anyway. You're driving me crazy. That's all right. There's this tiny little package that if we'll let it, Jesus gave us to remember him by. Jesus said, here's how I want you to remember me. When you get together as a body, I want you to eat eat bread. And that's a symbol of my body, which is given for you. And I want you to drink juice because that's a symbol of the blood that I shed for you. This is a tiny little thing if you think about it. But if, if we'll really lean into it, it's a very substantial, potent thing for our souls. Because it's a reminder of God's love for us in Jesus. And church, if, you've, if you haven't heard anything else I've said this morning, I want you to hear this. I do not want you leaving here saying, Pastor Matt said, I've got to go make the rough places smooth. I've got to go make the crooked places straight. I've got to make the low places in my life more holy. And I've got to make the higher mighty places a little more gentle and lowly. I've got to get to work. I am not saying that. Yes, we need to pay attention to those things and those areas in our life that are crooked and low. Yes, we need to pay attention to that. But this reminds us, the gospel reminds us that we can't fix ourselves. We need someone else outside of us, Jesus, to fix us. Let's give Jesus praise, not walk out of here this morning thinking, we got to get to work. No, let's say, Jesus, I can't do it. Do it for me. That's what John was saying. Repent because the forgiveness is there. It's Jesus. He's coming. He gave us this to remind us that we can't fix ourselves. But he will fix us. And one day when we see him face to face, (laughs) we'll be complete. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to take these elements together. Jesus, be honored. Be glorified. May none of us come to this table or this moment, whether online or in the room, saying we have anything to bring other than our own brokenness. And may we remember that you did what you did because we can't do it. You be praised, Jesus, because not only did you, but you do now and you will forever be ours. Thank you. Amen. Paul said... 
whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim his death until he comes. So until he comes, let's remember that this bread represents his body, which is given for us. Let's eat this in remembrance of him. And even though we deserved to be crucified, to be destroyed for our sins, to endure wrath, Jesus took it for us. This cup represents his blood. Let's drink it in remembrance of him. God be praised.
Thank you, Brad and Kendall and Chris and Renee. Got one more thing I want to do briefly before we're dismissed. And uh, as I talk about it for a moment, I'm going to ask the four gentlemen to come join me up on the stage here. These are four deacons who are about to be ordained by you. And uh, I'm just going to invite them up here, and I want to make sure you're aware of who they are, and then say a brief word about what deacons at the church at West Franklin do, and then I'm going to turn you loose. So, walking up the stage here to my left is Harve Vanderweide, and he and his wife Lois have been attending here for a while, so this is Harve. Right here in the middle, you've already seen Nick, but this is Nick Gordon. He is married to Lindsay, and they have two boys that attend here, Camden and Bennett. And here to my right is John Mills. He and his wife, Andrea, attend here with three young'uns, Atticus, Jeremiah, and Benjamin. And then here on the end to my right is Thad Champlin. Thad and his wife, Carol Lee, have been attending here for a while. You nominated these men. Uh, They agreed to serve as deacons here uh, for the next season, and I want you to be aware of who they are. Due to COVID protocol, we're not going to be able to do the Acts, the book of Acts thing and lay hands on them directly, but I'll direct you and how we're going to pray for them in a moment. But you need to know how deacons operate here. Uh, If you're like me, uh, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, been in Southern Baptist churches my whole life, and therefore I've seen all kind of different flavors of how deacons do this or do that at different churches. Uh, At the Brentwood campuses and at the church at West Franklin, the deacons have one primary job, and that is to be a pastoral ministry arm of the church, meaning if you're hurting, in need, in the hospital, uh, have... uh, pains and that sort of thing. They want to make sure you are taken care of. Uh, During non-COVID times, they are the ones that are going in and out of the hospitals to pray with you and to see if there's any errands that you need running from home while you're not able to be at home or anything like that. I want you to see these men because they join others. And who knows, one day you may be in a hospital bed where you will need someone to pray for you. And you will need someone to come and grab you by the hand and say, let me read scripture over you and let me ask God to come and help you. And that is the main responsibility of these men. I am grateful that we have a church that puts the emphasis on that because it lets you and I know that when we are in need, we're going to be prayed for and we're going to be taken care of. And for that, I am incredibly, incredibly grateful. Now, I'm going to ask you to stand and here's what we're going to do. As soon as I say amen, you're going to be dismissed. You can go ahead and stand. You don't have to wait. Uh, But as soon as I say amen, you're going to be dismissed. And I think you know the drill, but let me go ahead and say it. For those of you over here on my right, you're going to exit out this door here to my right. For those of you here on my left, you're going to exit out to my left. For those of you in the middle, I'm going to ask that you exit out that way and then go around this way. How much longer will we have to do that? I don't know, but until then, please do so. Now, you may not feel comfortable doing this, but since we cannot lay hands on them, I'm going to ask you just to extend your hand out as if we are laying hands on them. And I'm going to give you 20 seconds or so to say, God, would you anoint them with the special gift of pastoring us when we're in need and when we need help? as I just described a few moments ago. So I'm going to give you time to do that. I'm going to pray over them uh, after I give you a moment, and then we will be dismissed, okay? So let's pray for these men whom, uh, who will be serving us.
Jesus, you, you made it pretty clear in the book of Acts that a way to make sure your church stays focused and healthy is to have those appointed as deacons to operate in such a way so that the church can stay focused and healthy. And I thank you for setting apart all the deacons that we have here. In particular, now I want to pray for these four men. Men that you have set apart for the, for the next season to pray for us when we are hurting and in need and to serve so that we and those of us needing help can find the help that we need. I pray that you would anoint them with your spirit, not to be any, not because they're any better, more powerful, or have any other uh, higher position other than they have an anointing of your spirit that desires to love and serve the church at West Franklin. I pray that you would use them in the way you are filling them so that we can be focused on what matters and we can take care of one another as the gospel advances in our life personally and here around Franklin in the world. God, we give you praise. May our church be the healthy church that you have placed us here to be. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.